Hi, my name is Jan Wilczek. Welcome to Wolf Talk, a podcast about audio programming. In this podcast, you will learn how to build your career in research or programming related to audio, meet programmers and researchers from all around the world, and learn about the intricacies of sound. Hi everyone and welcome to the fourth session of the Wolf Talk podcast. Today you'll have a special guest who works on the cutting-edge deep learning research related to audio. His name is Alec Wright and he's a doctoral candidate in Alto Acoustics Lab of the Alto University in Espoo, Finland. Alec was the advisor of my master thesis and I consider myself lucky to have met him. We'll discuss how to apply neural networks to music processing, how audio is different in that regard from other areas, and also how to model virtually analog music devices with deep learning. As usual, you can find all references, people, places and publications mentioned in the episode in the show notes at dewolfsound.com slash talk004. A big thanks to Alto Acoustics Lab for lending me equipment for recording this podcast. And if you like the podcast so far, please consider leaving it a review on iTunes. Thanks. And now... Enjoy. Hi everyone. Hi. Hi Alec. Thanks for agreeing on this interview. That's okay. Could you introduce yourself to the audience? Okay. Um, my name is Alec Wright, and I'm a uh, doctoral student here at Alto University in the Alto Acoustics Lab. Okay. And how did you end up here as a how PhD I, student? Yeah. Well, uh, basically. Uh, I was studying um, my master's degree in Edinburgh in acoustics and music technology. Uh, and uh, in the duration of this, I, I went to an AES conference in Milan uh, where I met Vesa Valamaki, my current supervisor. Uh, and after this, I um, applied to be a PhD student here. And that's basically how I ended up here. Yeah. Nice. I heard that not everyone who applies gets a position. Well, so. I wouldn't know. <laughs> and it's also cool that you were able to meet him in person because that was pre-corona times, I guess. This was, I suppose, a good four years ago now or so. Yeah. Okay, so you transitioned from then mechanical engineering to yeah, audio. So before, uh, before I did this master's in Edinburgh, I did study mechanical engineering. And then I had a job that, uh, you know, wasn't well suited to me, shall we say. And I decided to go back to school. Uh, and w when I was, uh, yeah, and that's how I ended up going to Edinburgh. They had a cool program that was, uh, well, it's the Acoustics and Music Technology uh, degree program. Um, and it's kind of a combination of, um, I think what appealed to me was it had quite a lot of the uh, finite difference, time domain method mm -hmm. stuff, which is... Uh, actually quite common in mechanical engineering and I had done it on my degree already uh, only this is uh, in Stefan Bilbao's uh, research department where they're applying it to modeling of musical instruments and sometimes room acoustics as well uh, so I think that was part of the appeal mm 
Uh, and yeah, it was it was really great. We did lots of um, lots of lots of math, lots of uh, simulating uh, systems, uh, musical systems, and instruments. Yeah, so I think it was a good it was a good transition. Uh, yeah, and uh, it also maybe was easy for you because I guess you play a musical instrument yeah. as well. Well, I wouldn't say it was easy, <laughs> but yeah, I do also play the guitar uh, for for a long time now. I was yeah, uh, and uh, that was part of the reason why I was also interested in in modeling uh, guitar amplifiers and things like that because I had a. Been playing around with guitar guitar amplifiers for a long time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's a good transition to what your <laughs> what your research currently yeah. involves. Okay, so uh, what my research currently involves, uh, I would say, uh, the maybe uniting flavor is it uh, sort of these machine learning or deep learning methods. Although I suppose what the the networks that I'm usually using are not very deep by by the standards <laughs> of deep learning uh, but um, yeah basically it's applying these kind of techniques to uh, sort of musical processing problems for example like virtual analog modeling so making uh, nice you know digital guitar amplifiers mm -hmm. that you can just plug uh, so you can just plug straight into your laptop and uh, you know yeah so you basically take an existing amplifier that may be done using analog Yes. Uh, how's it called? Like tube amplifiers? Yeah, you, right? your, tube, your tube or your vacuum, vacuum yeah, tube exactly. amplifiers. Yeah, yeah. Um, although the techniques, because this is a kind of machine learning approach, the specific, uh, the kind of nice advantages that the specific like topology or type of guitar amplifier shouldn't really matter that much uh, as long as you can record some data. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just need to record um, what goes into the amplifier and what goes out of the amplifier. And then you can use that to train your model uh, to kind of simulate the amplifier. Yeah, and ideally you can then replicate that same model in software so that yes. you don't have to carry around a big that's the, amplifier. That's the promise of yeah, uh, yeah digital modeling uh, amplifiers yeah. and uh, plugins. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you were in this uh, numerical uh, processing of uh, and physical modeling how did you transition from this to deep learning like where did the deep learning interest come from well i would say it was partly uh just kind of a emerging or i suppose by that point it had emerged this trend yeah well i think it, in audio in audio yeah like, yeah started to get applied heavily uh, yeah yeah i, I think non-speech audio yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it was around the time when I was doing the Masters, um, it was when this uh, WaveNet paper came out, where, and so this was kind of the first time I think they'd really synthesized like quite realistic sounding mm -hmm. audio completely, uh, yeah, in a complete, um, with like a complete deep learning approach. Uh, and, you know, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that was part of it because it seemed like really impressive and, uh, it was kind of this point where you were starting to wonder, uh, you know, what you could do with this kind of methods. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed to be the way that, that things uh, things were going. Uh, and, you know, I kind of was also attracted to the ideas uh, and the kind of, it was appealing, this idea that you can just, uh, you know, record some data about the thing that you're trying to model and then, mm -hmm. uh, 
and then create a model like that. Yeah, and uh, can you specify any specific challenges that are uh, inherent to audio with deep learning? Because we know that deep learning is widely applied in, for example, images, right? Yeah. But then what's the challenge when it comes to audio? So uh, I would say one challenge um, is definitely this, the uh, sort of how to describe. Uh, I would say one challenge is how um, is to do with the kind of scale of audio. Obviously, audio is usually at a really high sample rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually when you're dealing with audio, um, you kind of, you know, obviously the immediate samples either side are quite important, but then you know, information that's happened maybe thousands of samples ago is also really important. Mm -hmm. And um, depending on the task that you're trying to do. But so like the data is kind of dense. We could it's say. dense, yeah. And you need to, you need to access information uh, depending on the task. You need to access information that might have happened quite a long time ago mm -hmm. in the sequence yeah. that you're trying to, which is the audio that you're using. Um, so that's quite challenging. Um, and then the other challenge is that generally uh, the sample rate is quite high again, which also means that models that run, uh, they need to, you know, if you're if you're doing inference with a model that you want to generate, you know, a, a raw stream of audio, mm -hmm. then it needs to uh, operate relatively quickly to be very useful because mm -hmm. it's going to need to, you know, churn out at least 16,000 samples per second. Uh, but, you know, if you're talking about making, uh, you know, plugins for door, then mm -hmm. uh, probably a lot more. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's this heavy requirement that uh, audio software needs to run in operating yeah. in real time when it's a plugin. Yeah. And and they don't, you know, even even just operating in real time is not enough. It should be, you know, yeah, it should be true. very cheap. Exactly. People don't people don't want a plugin that's going to, you know totally consume the processor exactly and also the the memory right like uh -huh. they want yeah. to be able to have you know 20 40 yeah. 60 plugins at yeah. the same time yeah. yeah we can just clog clog the memory yes yeah. okay and uh, would you be able to say uh, if that's a good question like where in audio is deep learning particularly useful? So which traditional methods failed to provide as good results mm -hmm. or comparable as deep learning? Well, it depends, I think, on how you measure the results. Uh, it certainly seems like uh, in speech and, and for example, uh, where they had been using, uh, you know, they hadn't really gone to deep, the, I mean, there's a long history in speech of using mm -hmm. uh, different kinds of models, and uh, now it seems that like really these deep learning models are, are dominating uh, speech synthesis and and recognition. So that's one field where it seems like it's uh, become the state of the art. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, these sort of techniques are starting to be applied in industry in in the audio plugin industry, uh, although exactly how much is obviously hard to say because mm -hmm. we yeah. don't we don't know what's going on inside uh yeah, exactly. proprietary software uh, <laughs> yeah, no one will say oh yeah we're using this network architecture yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but i think these kind of uh data-driven approaches uh to my um 
knowledge like they they sound as good as uh, as well, I've never heard anything that sounds as realistic. Mm-hmm. Although that being said, some of these models that sound incredibly realistic are you know not maybe the most practical uh, because of their size and mm-hmm. computational costs to run. Yeah. So is there a way that uh, we could somehow uh, optimize for? speed and for memory of such networks currently to optimize yeah like so can we do something that we have like a train network and can we reduce its size or uh yeah there are, there are there are methods uh from the kind of broader uh machine learning literature usually involving uh you know sparsity so making your um your model which has loads of parameters uh, basically pruning away a lot of these mm-hmm. uh, parameters. That's one option you can usually get rid of actually most of the parameters in your model. And a sparse model will work quite well and that can give you quite a big uh, speed up and also reduce the memory costs. Otherwise, I think it's basically trying to fit these machine learning methods. Uh, so it's kind of sort of going away from deep learning a bit mm-hmm. and trying to fit these machine learning methods where you're optimizing uh, your model um, into the kind of traditional uh, framework. So using a lot of the kind of traditional DSP, uh, you know, filters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. nonlinearities, uh, but using kind of machine learning techniques to train the models. Okay, okay. So like to not necessarily... Uh, generate the audio itself but like more to train parameters of much cheaper models yeah that's that's one trend in the research that okay. i think is uh becoming kind of pronounced recently uh yeah nice and could you share maybe uh, as you do like to my knowledge a lot of deep learning uh in audio how do the data sets look like and what are what maybe makes a good data set for a neural network in audio in particular? I mean, it depends a lot on the task that you're trying to do. Uh... Okay, so let's fix maybe the discussion to uh, virtual analog modeling. So we okay. have we have uh, an analog device and we mm-hmm. want to now model it so that we can have the exact same behavior, but in yeah. software, not yes. in analog electronics. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, the main thing is that you need to have well not the main thing <laughs> well you need to have enough data mm-hmm. uh, and for our purposes we found that that's actually not very much you don't mm-hmm. need very much data to model a guitar amplifier for example yeah, so how much data uh, like on an order used, of magnitude you know a minute or a few minutes usually in our experience um Yeah, and then the other thing is you want your data to be representative. Uh, you know, if if you're considering that this data is like basically the excitation signal for the system that you're trying mm-hmm. to model, then you want to make sure that your data kind of elicits all of the behavior or mm-hmm. enough of the behavior of the uh, system that you're trying to model. So if you if you just put in like a sine wave at 80 hertz, uh, it's going to learn you know it's gonna mm-hmm. you can train a model to do that really well but it never saw what happens when you put in uh someone playing a guitar so you need to make sure that you uh, kind of cover the sort of uh the whole frequency range, uh, spectrum i would say that's mm-hmm. that's important too um so get all the possible flavors of the device yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, maybe on a different note. Sure. When you look at what is published right now and what is mm-hmm. being worked on right now, as far as as you can discuss it, like, would you say that? in specifically audio effects community so not talking about speech at the moment but audio effects community is deep learning like uh, widely applied and is gaining more and more popularity or is there still some like uh, bias towards this let's say more traditional methods well i think what you're seeing at the moment is yeah there's there's more papers coming out for audio processing with deep learning But then also there's been uh, more research coming out where they're kind of uh, fusing what they know from these traditional DSP methods uh, with the kind of optimization approach of deep learning. Uh, so so that's uh, what I would say um, is, is quite common. Mm-hmm. It's quite common at the moment. That being said, there, I, there, are, there, are like, there is also research that's kind of more black box in its approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I, I feel like what see and, and what seems like a you know a good idea and a good trend to me is to use the knowledge that we do have about uh, about these systems uh, to help us kind of design our models. Um, and if you look at a lot of the models we're using, they they're not actually that dissimilar to traditional DSP mm-hmm. techniques. So we can use that knowledge. But you know, a lot a lot of the models are based on convolutional filters, which are obviously Widely used in uh, already, and we, we mm-hmm. understand a lot about those, as well as IIR filters and uh, nonlinearities. Those are kind of the the building blocks of pretty much all of these machine learning uh, models. So, in one sense, uh, it's a black box, but also mm-hmm. the the model structure is already quite reflective. Uh, it already reflects quite well what's going, uh, what's used with the in the traditional uh, DSP kind of. Uh, techniques. Okay, so it's good that everything that we learned at the university won't be you know, put to trash. It or wasn't nothing, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as you mentioned, like convolutional filters, uh, yeah. what are the typical neural network architectures that are being used specifically for audio processing? Yeah, uh, so I guess in... Uh, In, in the approach we've had for, for modeling amplifiers, for example, mm-hmm. it's either using uh, a sort of WaveNet style network. And what this is, is essentially uh, these stri- um, dilated convolutional layers mm-hmm. um, and and followed by uh, non-linear, non-linear functions and uh, just lots, lots of them mm-hmm. stacked on top of each other. So that they take like a, a lot of samples. In yeah. So the idea is that uh, it's completely feed forward, um, which just means that you know the uh, previous output doesn't uh, mm-hmm. isn't needed to calculate the next output. It just needs a kind of window of previous samples, mm-hmm. um, which is nice for training because it makes it very parallel parallelizable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love saying that word. Uh, and. Um, Yeah, also it means that um, it can, you know, the amount of dilation and the number of layers increases how far back uh, in time uh, the model looks when mm-hmm. it's predicting the output. And we kind of know from 
amplifiers and, and other devices that they do have memories so they can't predict the output purely based on like the last sample mm -hmm. that went in there or the last 10 samples you need a bit more usually okay and then uh, apart from this let's say wavenet style models uh, there are also these uh, long short-term memory yeah. right so there's recurrent models as well so if the wavenet models look a little bit like uh, uh, FIR filters mm -hmm. um, and memoryless nonlinearities or Wiener Hammerstein models, as mm -hmm. they're also called. Uh, these uh, LSTM, um, uh, these are recurrent neural network models and they are sort of, I would say that they're quite an obvious choice if you're dealing with uh, sequences. Mm -hmm. The whole point is that they have a state and they're kind of reminiscent of uh, state space models in DSP. Um, and so essentially every every um, step in the, uh, in the input, every sample it takes in, it will update its state and um, that state will be carried over to the next mm -hmm. time step and it will use that state uh, vector to then calculate what the output should be for that input. So it has memory in, um, you know, at each input, it only sees directly the current input sample, but it remembers through its state. So it can cover, like, essentially uh, very, very long In theory, uh, in practice, it, it's not, it, it, does, it doesn't it uh, does have infinite memory, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, it, it it kind of seems like it could, but uh, it doesn't. And it doesn't mm -hmm. really. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Because I wanted to ask you one question, but it escaped me. <laughs> so sure. are there also are there also generative models used? Yeah. In audio. So generative models are not something I focus on, uh, but it is a really interesting area that I have been reading about and. Uh, yeah, so there's all kinds of generative models. There's obviously the original WaveNet model, uh, which could it was intended as a speech synthesizer, but it also did quite a good job of generating uh, quite realistic sounding piano music. Um, but yeah, I would say at the moment the kind of probably the the uh, most well known or largest impact mm -hmm. generative model would be this kind of well. It's more of a synthesizer, I guess, this uh, DDSP or Differentiable Digital Signal Processing mm -hmm. uh, architecture, um, which was basically just based based on this idea that you could uh, synthesize um, or the, the kind of autoencoder they created, the idea was that you could synthesize um, you could synthesize audio through this model of, uh, you know, signs plus noise. Mm -hmm. So you essentially uh, boil it down to a task of creating a bunch of sinusoids and then uh, filtering some noise and adding it together. And um, if you train a neural network to uh, generate which sinusoids, uh, to determine which sinusoids you're going to generate, mm -hmm. their kind of amplitude envelope and also the filtered noise, like the frequency of the filtered noise, um, if you train a big enough neural network to, mm -hmm. to control that process, uh, you can make very realistic sounding instruments from data. Okay, so changing now the topic from deep learning to what you're doing specifically, is that I heard that uh, you have quite many uh, students that you supervise, me have, included. Yes. <laughs> well, at the moment, uh, I think technically I'm advising, not supervising, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have, I have been advising uh, a couple of master's students and I should have another one 
coming soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so could you maybe uh, tell us a bit what's like what it's like when you start a PhD and now you need to you know advise other students? But a while ago you were a master student yourself. Yeah. Well, it's nice in some respects. Uh, I would say it's something that you know once you kind of get a bit immersed in in the literature and and you're you're trying a few things and you're you're reading quite a lot i suppose you have uh things that you want to try uh but you don't really have time to do mm-hmm. yourself uh so you uh it's it's quite nice sometimes to have a master student that you can work with um but yeah it is it is definitely or It was it was strange at first. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, but I, I guess I I kind of feel more like uh, with with the students I've been working with that we've just been like working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much that I'm like supervising that you know we uh, we discuss what what you or another mm-hmm. student has been doing and then uh, you know. Uh, figure out what you can do next and um, or yeah what can be done next and like how to progress yeah yeah I think it's really cool because um, like me as a master student Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I want to do something let's say with deep learning but then I don't know what exactly uh, is is needed what's the knowledge gap and then you come in that you have like okay this will be interesting this this and this Mm -hmm. and then you can like pick and choose what to go with and, and generate ideas for master thesis. So uh, mm-hmm. as we touched on this, I wanted to ask you because when we started uh, collaborating or you, sure. you started advising to my master thesis, uh, we needed to do that remotely because mm-hmm. of the of the pandemic. Yes. Then uh, could you maybe say what were the challenges that come with this when you need to start uh, in collaboration with someone you don't know at all? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, the usual challenges of having only remote meetings, which can be a bit, uh, you know, it's not the nicest way mm-hmm. to get to know somebody or talk to somebody. Uh, but I would say all in all, it, it seemed seemed to work okay. I, I think the hardest thing about working remotely with people is that you it's much harder to, uh, you know, there's always little things you know you have a little idea or you think of mm-hmm. a, you have a comment and if you're just in the same office you can just say hey <laughs> how about this as uh, when you have to organize a meeting or send an email it, it kind of loses the whole spontaneity mm-hmm. uh, so I, w- i would say that that's uh something that has been much better uh working in the office uh as opposed to doing online yeah yeah i completely completely agree Mm-hmm. And then I'm so glad that I came here yeah. because I think we would have missed out a lot mm-hmm. uh, if it wasn't for this in-person, in-person yeah. contact. I also feel like, you know, from I know, kitchen talk, for example, <laughs> new yeah. ideas can sprout. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, well, that's a nice thing about being in a in a lab that's also full of PhD students and uh, postdocs and professors. There's always someone around that you can uh, discuss things with or conversations that you can you can join in and uh, you, you kind of get a lot of ideas and you learn a lot like that you collaborate and yeah yeah 
that's that's what I also observed, and I think it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then for you uh, specifically, when you transitioned to Finland from the UK, mm-hmm. um, how was it? Uh, it was cold, <laughs> I would say. And uh, well, I was transitioning from Scotland, so you know, it's 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 a bit further north. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, culturally, it's uh, it's quite different. The language is different. Uh, but I think it was it was okay. The Finnish people, I, in my experience, have been very uh, very welcoming, and the the kind of uh, community in in the Alto Acoustics Lab is really good. Um, so yeah, I would say you know there were hard things, but. Uh, Mostly the dark nights, uh, the long dark nights and the cold weather, <laughs> followed by the extremely long days uh, where, you, you know, you can't go to sleep because it's light, getting lighter through a.m. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, like right now, it's it's already pretty dark. It's pretty dark. It's, it's uh, been dark since three, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's getting near to 8 p.m. and I think around, yeah, I don't know, 3 p.m. it got dark, so it's already five hours. Yeah. Oh. And we're still in the office. <laughs> still in the office. <laughs> it's much better when the snow comes. I say that. <laughs> and we're expecting that, I think, soon, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and about things that are soon to come, can you say maybe a few words about what are your plans for the nearest future? My plans? Well, I have a few publications that I'm working on uh, with... My, by myself and also with uh, other people uh, like my students that I've been working with uh, and otherwise I will I I should be you know finishing my PhD in the next 18 months or so mm-hmm. so I will finish that and then I will weigh up my options and decide uh, decide where I want to go next um yeah awesome so i wish you then all the best uh-huh. with your uh phd writing and, and decisions and the last question to you is if someone wanted to reach out to you where sure. can they find you online uh well if you find any of my papers my email address is there and you're welcome to send me an email uh also uh, i i mean github is is probably my social media of choice <laughs> Uh, which is just, you know, github.com slash alec-right. Uh, yeah, that's that's mainly where I uh, where you can find me online, I would say. Uh, yeah. I have I have some repositories up uh, of some of some of my uh, papers that I've uh, published. Uh, you can download and train some guitar amplifier models if you want as well. So. Awesome. And I personally recommend reading your papers because I think for for me as a person who started out like in deep learning completely from scratch, mm-hmm. your papers actually were a great way to get into it, to see what's the yeah. state of the art in this audio effects modeling. And then from these these papers, you know, get references to maybe mm-hmm. what's worth uh, starting with. Uh, in a like a broader broader sense so definitely if someone considers audio effects modeling with deep learning your papers 
at the moment are the are the place to go in my opinion oh well thank you <laughs> so once again all the best and right. thank you for this interview okay it's been a pleasure all right everyone that was alec wright of the alto acoustics lab thanks again alec for having this conversation with me if you listeners want to contact him or look up some reference from the episode you can find all the reference material in the show notes at dwonsan.com slash talk 004. If you want to support this podcast, please consider buying a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Jan Wilczek. And if you would like to stay up to date with Wolfsan's publications related to audio programming or audio research, then sign up for Wolfsan's newsletter at dwolfsan.com slash newsletter. Thanks for tuning in and see you in the next episode. Take care.